0: Hello, welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. It is the 18th of October. You'll be hearing this on October 19th. Um, It's just me and Tammy today again. Uh, We will go back to having guests soon. But I don't know, we wanted to like switch things up and do like a, you know, a friend's chat for a couple (laughs) of weeks. (laughs) Um, One announcement that I want to make, which is very exciting, is that we just passed 1 million... Downloads on this show.
1: Woo! That's so crazy.
0: Yeah, I can't believe it either. I mean, that's a lot of downloads. It's been you
1: know? two and a half years since I thought only your mom would listen. A million. Yeah, my mom is does lot.
0: listen. But <laughs> a million's a lot. So we'd like to thank everybody. I don't know. Are there any thinking? it Has it really been two? I guess we've done been doing the entire pandemic. Time is very strange yeah. because of the pandemic. April
1: 2020.
0: Yeah, we. we that's uh, nice, right. April twenty twenty yeah now it's like what October of twenty twenty two so that is two and a half. years. What have we even talked about for two and a half years? I it don't seems know. Crazy. I
1: was trying to so think. We just talk
0: about the same thing every week.
1: <laughs> our episode, I know. <laughs> I mean, obviously, we have something. I remember when our um, we were brainstorming titles and everything was around like pangolins. And like oh, yeah, wet market because we were pangolin it was all about... radio yeah
0: yeah and then Andy didn't want to do pangolin radio or the wet market because he felt like it was gonna like somehow adversely affect his academic his
1: academic career and he tried to hide where he was teaching and we're like <laughs> everyone knows <and> like...
0: <laughs> I know. well look I in look I Andy we were not saying if you're listening we were definitely not saying this to uh, trasher it's just that like I think when, like when people have like their first especially academics yeah when they're, like first was going so into like. media stuff like they get very nervous because i think it's like it's just a new world for them you know it'd be the same thing if i had to like go to a department meeting or something you know (laughs) i'd just be like how does this work am i in trouble you know i'd be wondering that the whole time and be like why is that person just staring at me in that sort of way right (laughs) and so i think it's uh but yeah Pangolin Radio was a good one. I think we should have just done
1: that. Yeah, actually that was that was I also I don't remember know. I like with Andy, like podcast. he, I think because of that risk aversion, like we were like, come on to this show where we like, we like are have not researched and like we'll just like spew out random theories. And then he's <laughs> like, I did this research. My prep document is 10 pages long. <laughs> and we'd be like, it's fine, Andy. <laughs> he liked
0: doing that though because it's a yeah. it's similar to debate, you know. Totally. Like, he was basically like highlighting down debate cards that he could that he could. Uh, give out but yeah i don't actually know what we've talked about for two and a half years sometimes i think about it like uh i'll even go back and read some of my columns and stuff and i'm just like you know what like i don't really have that many interests in life you know (laughs) like i'm only really interested in like four things (laughs) one of the things that i'm interested in i never write about which is sports you know or even really talk about but then again, in sports, I don't even really have opinions anymore. I just like kind of watch passively, like, um, and you know, I'm like, "Ooh, great shot!" You know, "Whoa, what a dunk!" And I'm not like, "Oh wow, they should run like this set or this player is really inefficient. They should swap them with." Like, those thoughts don't cross my mind anymore. I just think, like, Ooh, we need to you when know, we have it. They're down by two points. Sports host. And
1: then
0: I know, I know. Well, I would be bad at it. I did a podcast <laughs> with my. Um, with uh, Alex Wong, who's like this sort of guy who uh, oh, has
1: been Raptors in the basketball thing?
0: media space for a while, yeah, 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 and um, he on Twitter he's at Stephen Lebron, but like he <laughs> he was like, okay, and you know, let's talk about the Western Conference, and I told him I was like, I don't, I don't really have basketball. Opinions. I just watch a lot of basketball. And I spend a lot of time listening to basketball podcasts and I have no critical filter when I listen to the <laughs> basketball podcast. You could tell me anything. It's like Ron Burgundy or something. You can tell me anything on a basketball podcast and I would believe it, you know, because like, <laughs> like my brain is shut off. I'm so like, is yeah, this show so.
1: like just about the Raptors?
0: Yeah, I think oh, so. Right. And, you know, during the offseason, I think they expand a bit out. But his, he and this guy, William Liu, they've been doing this. Uh, it's It's been cool to watch them build it, you know, because Toronto Raptors fan culture is so intense. And it is? So, so I don't know anything yeah, about this. Yeah, yeah. I
1: saw you did that, yeah. and I was like, what is Raptors Radio? And then I... Like,
0: oh, yeah. No, it's cool. They why are, is Toronto's
1: built... fan culture so specific?
0: Um. Well, I, there's a few things about it. The first is that, like, it's you know, the only basketball team in Canada.
1: Right, yeah.
0: Right. The second thing is that I think basketball is actually a big deal in over the past 25 years in Canada since the Raptors have been there. And it's like you have a lot of players that are coming from Canada now, much more than there were before.
1: Oh.
0: Um, and a lot of the players are very good. So you have like players who are stars that are Canadian. Hmm. And so you've had this sort of buildup of Canadian basketball over the past quarter century or so. And it's all located, you know, centered around Toronto. A lot of the player, most of the players, I think, that make the NBA are from, you know, Toronto, suburbs, something I see. like
1: that. Yeah, yeah. But
0: um, it's also like the very diverse fan base, and I think that that sort of, I don't know, it's Toronto, you know, it's a bunch of Asian. And
1: people. both of the hosts are Asian American or Asian Canadian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Right, and so they had that like very famous moment with the with the Raptors, and there was that guy who. Uh, he was sick maybe right um and he was like their most famous fan like wears you know has like a turban which you know is like sort of emblematic of their fan base which is that we're all inclusive and we all just love the raptors and we are celebrating the great diversity of of canada of toronto i don't know it's pretty cool i I went to a game and it was like that um i felt that vibe And then Drake is very involved. And I think his celebrity kind of helps to drive it a little bit. Yeah. But um, (laughs) yeah. But again, I don't really have basketball opinions. And so I don't even know what we've talked about. I guess my only point is
1: We've done basketball when it's like politically adjacent.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Which it never actually is. Yeah. Right. (laughs) I guess we talked about the pandemic. pandemic. There's not really much to talk about the pandemic anymore. I don't know. Do you feel like guilty about this at all? Sometimes I catch myself being like, you know, during the pandemic, and then I think to myself, oh, someone's going to yell at me because they're going to be like, the
1: pandemic is I know.
0: You know, and I'm just like, listen.
1: If I say the phrase post pandemic on the street, I'm like looking around to see if somebody caught me. Like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> Someone from Twitter is going to come like swooping down and be like, long COVID,
1: yeah. Tammy. <laughs> You're eight list. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah. like, I probably have been. But anyway. <laughs> yeah.
0: I don't know. I think we should give people a break on the post pandemic thing where, yes, the, you know, the pandemic's still going on, but like, I, we need something to just be like, okay. You know, I there are can't markers think about of time, anymore.
1: like you yeah. know what I mean. Like it does feel like a different. I don't know. Korea is just like totally normal.
0: People don't wear Except, masks. Well, no,
1: I mean the masking is like, but the the masking it, it feels it's like so normalized that it doesn't even feel like a thing. But in rest, yeah. everybody's going to restaurants indoors and stuff all the time.
0: So I was on a plane um, this weekend, and I was the only person who wore a mask on the plane. Wow. Yeah, and. The only reason I wore a mask was because the guy sitting next to me smelled terrible.
1: <laughs> you weren't going to wear one?
0: I wasn't going to wear it. Oh, my God. And then the guy next to me which was just like, I don't know. He was like, Ew. you know, he was like in his, he was like, in, he wasn't even that old, but he did not smell great, you know? That's awful. And so then I was like, I'm putting this mask <laughs> And then I felt very self-righteous about it, you know, like I'm the only person on this. (laughs) Right, exactly.
1: (laughs) It's because also it was a flight from Vegas, so it's like geographically specific.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's true. It's from Oakland to Las Vegas, and I was just like, all right, I'm gonna be—I'm the only person. Everyone here is like excited to party. (laughs) They're all gonna get COVID except for me. You know, I'm gonna be the only person partying because the rest of this plane's getting COVID. But the rest um, of the
1: people have to smell this guy.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was the other thing. I was like, listen, you know, um, I don't know. I don't know. It was, uh, I, I really was the only person though. Maybe there was one Asian person in the back or something like that, but but uh, yeah, I was the only nice. person I could see at all. Um, okay, well, uh, I don't know. Maybe we can do it next week or something where we get a bit more into it and we remember the podcast more. But honestly, like right now, it feels like you know, um, like one of these things where you're just like, I don't know, it's so time is seamless through it you know there's no like there's no little bumps or crags that I can remember yeah
1: it's been it's been good I can't believe that that's so that's one million's a lot
0: one million's a lot it's a lot um so but we thank you thank you so much seriously thank you um okay the second thing I think we wanted to talk about was that something you know um over this past week uh Betsy Moraes at the Columbia Journalism Review like did a audio story right, um, mm-hmm. and it was about John Bennett, who we've talked about on the show before. is a legendary editor at the New Yorker, and somebody who you know, I think was important to me and Tammy as well. And um, you know, we wanted to read uh, the Bennett Bennettisms, right? Which is, <laughs> um, I don't know if you've met him. He's a very sort of like fun and he would sometimes say things. And then you're like, Oh, it was important that this person said this thing. And I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a listen and think about it, right. Mm -hmm. And so Betsy did the good work of sort of, of collecting some of these things, right? Um, Tammy, you want to read some of these for us? Yeah,
1: okay, let me read a couple of my favorites. So um, (laughs) a writer, so Bennett, John would like, these are things that like his writers would remember him saying. Um, I like this one. A writer is a guy in the hospital wearing one of those gowns that's open in the back. An editor is walking behind, making sure that nobody can see his ass.
0: <laughs> yes, that's true.
1: <laughs> what um, about
0: you? I, I like uh, only shitty writers need transitions. <laughs> that's, something, <laughs> that's something I always feel intensely. Like. <laughs> <It's like, laughs> um, I try not to ever use them, you know. But um, I don't know. Sometimes it's like you try and think about it, and it's like, all right, as a reader, like, do you really like reading these things where everything is like a every paragraph is its own object? You know. Sometimes I think like maybe that type of writing can be a bit, oh, I don't know, like self indulgent. And yet, at the same time, I think that that's when that type of thing is done poorly is when you notice that every yeah paragraph is its own. It's object, so clunky. You know? But I always notice when I see the writer putting in a bad transition sentence and just be like, listen, you should fire you should fire your <laughs> editor because you, especially if your editor made you write this one you know it's like you should be able to go from one to the other without this like kind of placeholder in there. Um, the other one I liked a lot was peel off one layer of the onion yeah. and you're a genius peel off another la- layer and you're a solsist and people. <laughs>
1: so what do you think exactly he meant by that like for people who may not like think about magazine editing
0: oh i think that um basically that you kind of need to i think it's like a lot of this is just like you know be cool you know (laughs) like just be like cool and like act like you've been there is a type of thing right like there's like this kind of burrowing that sometimes people do where i just think it's like it's about proving the genius of the person. Yeah. Being like, oh, how deep can I get into this? And just like, most things are not that deep, you know?
1: Well, and it it's struck great me profundity. that so much of this stuff is like also just showing respect for the reader because that's the onion right. thing too. It's like, don't get too into your business that that reader can't follow you, you know? Yeah. And so he yeah. also has yeah. stuff like, don't nudge the reader, don't condescend to the reader. Like, I think that is so important. And that's also why he was always talking about chronology, like he always was just like, like every New Yorker article just like goes in order. And he's like, that's good and fine. You don't need to innovate on chronology. Like that is how people behave and think.
0: Yeah, I'm a very big fan. I'm a very big supporter of just going chronologically. Yeah. Both in documentary film and in magazine Oh, really?
1: Wait, say more about the doc part because I don't...
0: Well, I don't know. You know, like people are always trying to reinvent chronology in documentary film because... I don't know, you know, people want to experiment with form, yeah, right? And they want to sort of use, sometimes they want to use like conventions that are work better in film, right? Like in, in a- I see. You know, like in a movie. Narrative film, yeah. Um, then, and generally it's like, all right, like, can we just go in order here? <laughs> you know? Like, I don't know. I watched that, okay- one of the documentaries that I was very impressed by was uh Kamal Bell's like Cosby documentary from last oh, year. I didn't see that. Okay. Um and that literally uses a timeline. <laughs> it just oh, goes really? down the timeline. And
1: like there's a graphic beca- overlay on.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. And beca- well not at all times it goes away. Yeah, yeah. It's not like, you know, it's not like the score in a football game or something. Yeah, it's yeah. Like always but in the still, corner. That's like the but organizing, organizing
1: principle
0: of it. Cuz you have so many accusers, you know. You have so many women and then you have this gigantic career Mm -hmm. like that you all have to keep track of and you need to know stuff like okay when he was doing like get smart or whatever you know like when he was doing like fat albert like what was like what was happening on these two things oh wow and it made me realize i was just like you know i bet that there was some conversation that was done there where somebody was like i don't know like it's not very artful you know (laughs) and then they just went with the functional way Mm -hmm. and they're absolutely right to do that because it's like i don't know like the reader already is having trouble keeping things in their heads, even if they're very smart, um, and making it harder because like, it's, I just like, there's like very few reasons to go out of order. Sometimes like what you want to do is you want to do something where you have a superstructure, right. And you have a, like, let's say like something happens and you're like, okay, you see this in books a lot of times, non nonfiction books. Right. You have a trial right and like you start out with something like on the first day of the trial the prosecuting attorney for like the you know like i don't know alameda county california stood up and said and on the back of the room or you know at the defendant's table was so and so so and so right and then you go back to the beginning when the beginning of the defendant's life and then you tell you do like twelve thousand words of like biography yeah and chapter two <laughs> starts with like Back at the trial, the plot, you know? yeah, yeah. and the trial is like the organizing device. Right. I think that's very different than going out of chronology, right? Because that's just having two chronologies at once. But even then, I don't really like that organizing principle
1: very much. <laughs> well, one <laughs> of the things, I remember John, I mentioned this to you and Betsy, but one of the things John had advised on a story I was working on was like doing that thing that he tells people to do sometimes, which is like four, what was it? It's like four, one, two, three, five right like it is chronological but like he had also had this other rule like put the best shit at the end the second best shit at the beginning and then all the other stuff in between right right and right, that but right. yeah I, I mean that's still basically chronological it's just you're teeing up a drama or whatever
0: yeah yeah it's like i think that those organizing principles is just strange like you know how, like saving private ryan is like kind of like it starts with the old people at the at the, like the grave site or something and then it goes back you know it's always like it's always a bit flimsy and honestly it's better when it's flimsy like when it's more rich than and you have to pay attention to it it just becomes harder um, yeah. i understand why people do it though because like i think that sometimes you just need like to get eased into things but i don't know okay Next thing uh, that we want to talk about, which is BTS in Busan and military tensions in Asia. Okay, Tammy, tell us about this. I'm curious about this. All
1: right. So you guys know I've been in Korea, and it's it's pretty tense here, like in a way that I actually haven't experienced in a while. And I think like with the Ukraine war and China and North Korea, it just feels like stuff is getting real here, and it's pretty frightening. I mean, again, I think on a daily basis, and we've said this before, it's not like South Koreans are always like nervous about North Korea and China, and you get used to a certain level of confrontation just because you live here and it's fragile. Um, but you know, with all the military exercises in the EC, like U.S., South Korea, Japan have been drilling together, that pisses off North Korea. They're fi- firing missiles. You know, China and North Korea are basically supporting Russia in the war in Ukraine. So anyway, it, everything feels like it's sort of crumbling. Also, this week. BTS, after, like, years of speculation and their announced hiatus a few weeks ago, have said that they are, in fact, going to go to the the Korean military. Oh, really? Yeah. So the oldest member is Jin. And, like, the rule has been that they have to go before they're 30. But everybody thought that the Korean government was going to give them an exemption the way they give classical musicians and athletes an exemption. Um, And also, but, you know, BTS is such a huge driver of the economy, (laughs) That people weren't sure. It's like giving like Samsung a break or something. You know what I mean? It's right, crazy. right, right, right. Um, but it seems like Jin is gonna—he's about to turn thirty—is gonna go.
0: Oh wow! For the whole two years.
1: So it's like a year and change now. It's all—it's all been shortened. Oh. But they're all gonna go in sequence, and then their company announced that they're gonna have a reunion in 2025 <laughs> after they're all wow. done with their service. So it's it's a kind of an interesting time. Um, and I think the BTS. Piece maybe kind they're of burned out.
0: Do you think they're just burned out? Like in that you know, yeah. it's like you know how like in uh mob movies, sometimes when the when the mob dudes need to like escape the heat, they go to like prison for a year and hang out. You
1: know? <laughs> I know. <laughs> this is <laughs> like just their brain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, also it's not like they're gonna send BTS to the front lines of whatever exercise, right, you right, know. Right, like they're gonna have right. some nice job. Um, yeah,
0: that's interesting. Wait, so what is attention like? Because you know, I think that one of the misconceptions people have had over the past 10 years is that like Every time you hear noi- you know news For about sure. like oh well North Korea launched some missiles that they believe that everyone in South Korea like even knows that it happened yeah and is like quaking in fear which is not true like nobody no in the past people. We're not really even paying attention, right? Like, it was just kind of like, okay, well, whatever. This is something that happens all the time. <laughs> yeah. It even sort of happens on a schedule, you know, where you can kind of know when they're going to do this stuff. But why, how is it different this time?
1: Yeah. So, you know, there's a new conservative administration here. Basically, during that kind of, there was a little bit of a sort of like detente period, I think we can say, between like when Trump and Moon were in office and now it's Yoon. But I think it's really being sort of heightened by the fact that like you had the US and China are essentially in a trade war and like China's been making certain kinds of overtures vis-a-vis Taiwan, which is freaking people out. Um, Obviously, Russia just straight up invaded Ukraine and people in this region are trying to figure out, well, what does that mean for sovereignty? You know, what does that mean for like old Cold War alignments? Um, And I think like so with the conservative administration in power now, like basically they've restarted annual military exercises and on like a scale that we haven't seen in Korea for a number of years now. Um, so I think like all of this is, it just feels like it's a lot more than usual. Um, the North Koreans, yes, of course, there is like, just this kind of like attention economy because of the way that they've been ostracized in the, in the you know, world. And, and so there, are, if there is a sort of change in administrations, there will often be like a missile launch. Right. But it also seems like they're ramping up towards potentially another nuclear test. Um, something I've been paying attention to in just like the Western media is that there, so the, this doesn't sound like a big deal, but it actually kind of is. So in the New York Times and the Financial Times this past week, there were pieces basically saying we should just accept the fact that North Korea is a nuclear state right. and stop trying to move towards denuclearization as a goal because it has impeded like all sorts of diplomacy. And I think most people sort of in our general, who have our, gen- our general politics or at least realist politics have been saying that for basically a couple of decades. Like that ship has sailed, whether you like it or not, they have nukes. And so we just need to deal with that and put them on some sort of like schedule the way that other people who have nukes, other countries have nukes are. Right. Um, I think the emergence of that sort of thinking is promising because I think it's just realistic and I think it opens up a different way about thinking about North Korea. It's still obviously not the dominant logic in Washington, but yeah, it was sort of paying attention to that as we're seeing this. I think that's like the countervailing trend, which is yes, it's very, very hot here. And then what are we going to do about that? Let's mm. take this kind of realist approach towards this.
0: Right. I mean, it seems like the nuclear disarmament is never going to happen. And then to have it be the thing that even exactly. opens the door. Right. When you're trying to start a conversation with him, to ju- with people, someone, and just say, like, look, we're not even going to have this conversation until you do the thing you're not going to do. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: And then it's been like many, many years and they're just like, yeah, it's still not going to do it. Then you can either just ignore that person or, you know, you can just sort of like, but, I, but, you know, or you can try and work with it. Like that is interesting that that's such a shift though. Um, I hope that, it is. Uh, I mean,
1: at least it's being published in mainstream papers and it's like, you know, it's at least an idea that's out there. Um, you know, and I don't, obviously we don't want, your kid, our kids, to be living in a world where all these nu- new countries are getting nukes, like this is a very, very bad situation. But I think just realistically speaking, if there are a set of countries that already have them, right. and they, see, they feel that that is necessary for them to continue existing, then we need to figure out what to do with that. So anyway, um, I feel very sorry for a lot of people in this region who feel like because of the play of China and the U.S., things are getting worse in their countries. Things are getting more tense. Things are like the military is building up right. and that's happening here. Mm.
0: Well, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think I've ever even thought about it. I, I was just always under the impression that like nothing could happen that would break the cynicism that people have about nothing, that nothing is gonna happen. But I guess there have been moments in the past 10 years even where things have felt much more intense And then there have been little moments where things feel a bit more hopeful, right? Like, I don't know, like the hockey teams playing together definitely, yeah. Olympics and stuff like that. And even some of the stuff around Trump, you know,
1: was like... Yeah, I think some of that... Remember, like,
0: at some point, Trump had, like, decent odds to win the Nobel Peace Prize. And it was around the time when, like, people actually thought, like, wait, wait, maybe this... Work, but of course it didn't. You know, I remember at some point he was. I think he might have even been the favorite to win the Nobel Peace Prize. Now that was like one of the times where I was like, maybe he'll just do it for his own ego. Exactly.
1: But of course, like he can't just do it
0: by himself. You know, even though obviously he would have had a big influence on it. But yeah, yeah, that was. That was a wild. Thought. Can you imagine if he had actually pulled that off? That would have been so wild. There are so
1: many people like him who have won it, though, right? So it's like, right. He'll just be the next like dictator who wins the Nobel Prize for doing like one thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, and he. I don't know. Maybe he'll win again, and you know, he'll get another. Oh shot my god!
1: At it, don't say know? that. <laughs> like <he can> just... <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh man, I don't know. Ugh. Okay. Anyway, the, the third good luck thing that think, Yeah. Um. One other thing that I, okay, I promise we're not just going to talk about stuff that we write about here, but I did want to talk about the LA City Council scandal. Now, for people who don't know, what
1: a shit show. Some t-
0: uh, tapes leaked uh, and they captured three council members and the head of the Labor Federation, right? Which is the AFL CIO um, organization. I think that in this LA. guy was in charge of 800,000 workers, you know, or he like reps, their organization represented It's
1: like, 000. yeah, an umbrella gathering. Point for those right, unions. Eight hundred thousand yeah. is a lot. Yeah. And he so also, a, we can talk about it, but he's like a huge dude in the Teamsters.
0: Right, right, yeah. right, right. So, like one, I mean, I don't know, is it inaccurate to say like one of the most important labor leaders in the country? Right. I mean, representing such a huge, definitely region. in California, yeah. yeah. But
1: I think no, nationally, yeah, yeah.
0: So. Yeah, and um, you know it. It. To me, like, I think part of the reason why it became such a big story, obviously, like, you know, there's a lot of really, really, really repulsive racism in it, you know, like, way beyond the pale of what, I mean, like, these days, you know, let's be honest, sometimes you say, these comments were heard, and then you hear them, and you're like, okay, that was bad, but like, you know, (laughs) like, I've heard worse racism in (laughs) my life. This one was like, this was some of the worst. You were like, we actually haven't
1: heard this.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, you can look up. I'm not going to repeat anything they said, you know, but it was repulsive and you can look it up. And I'm sure everybody already knows about all this, right? But the other side of it, which I think is less discussed, right? And I think that it's unfortunate that it's less discussed, is that like it was like out of like some person's fantasy about how labor and, and local politics act
1: together yeah in racialized ways right right
0: plotting you know like all for political (laughs) gain for this like for these like three for these three people um labor almost acting like a lackey for these like politicians or just like city council members and you know labor leaders promising all sorts of stuff, you know, like just being like, oh, I can do this for you. I can do this for you. <laughs> didn't you, you like feel the, like
1: it was like a thrown out script from like the Waterfront Wire season?
0: Right, was, right. That's what it, it felt like <laughs> that a level. bad television yeah. show. Yeah. And somebody who has like an axe to grind against the Teamsters and the AFL totally. or something like that, you yeah. know, like some film director who's just like, man, my budgets would be smaller if I didn't have to pay all these, you know, I did if I didn't have to pay all these <laughs> unions, <laughs> just like basically makes up like a crooked... <laughs> He <laughs> makes him like a crooked labor leader, and <laughs> totally. makes him super racist. Yeah. You know? <laughs> just like, all right, you know? yeah. I guess that worked. But the angle that I wanted to talk about a bit with you is just like, I don't know, you know, it is very interesting to me because, like, you have in Los Angeles a lot of uh, candidates that are backed by DSA, right? Now that doesn't mean they're DSA candidates, but they're people on mm-hmm. the left, right? um Eunice hernandez beat one of the three city councilmen yeah. that's in council district one you know you have nithya raman who i wrote about a lot last year yeah, was, that's Um, right. you know he's uh her her campaign was based a lot on like renters right like uh you know instead of it, it was almost like she turned renters into like an identity group mm-hmm. right like um i am for the renters and on the tapes you could hear these three city council people in the labor leader being like oh we can't give her any more renters which is like an amazing thing that they even think about it almost as like an identity right that um they understand that her pull with renters is really uh powerful and then you have this guy hugo soto martinez who is running for one of the seats right now and you know like all these people uh if even the three of them get elected right like that in a 15 person council that has just been destroyed by the scandal then like that's like a lot of power, you know, much more than the left usually has. Right. I guess the question that I had here is just like, basically, are we, first of all, I think that like for people on the left, it should be seen as this great opportunity, you know? But I also think it's interesting because it's like, how much do we actually believe that the type of identity politics that the three city council people and the labor person were doing, right? Like how much do we believe that that type of stuff is not going to win out most of the time? You know, if you listen to like Eunice Hernandez, for example, she talks a lot about, you know, like I stand in solidarity with like black communities, indigenous communities, LBGTQ communities. Mm-hmm. Hugo Soto Martinez talks about like his time as like a labor organizer with hotel workers and says, you know, like this is about solidarity. Right. I don't know. I, I, I that word is like so interesting to me. I wanted to yeah read on it which is just like all right like we have this unprecedented opportunity here we have this big message that can go out which is the type of message that we talk about a lot on the show right which is just like is there a way to make like a working class the type of thing that like you know renters type of thing argument that will like cut across Across racial class
1: yeah economic politics sort
0: of like is that possible i don't know what do you think
1: yeah but oh my god is it gonna be hard you start so you wrote about this this week jay and you um start your piece kind of rehearsing the most charitable version of this right which is like ethnic politics exists everywhere these are like four latino leaders basically saying we need to have latino leadership in the city council which like on its face as like a bare argument isn't necessarily bad or evil because latinos are yeah
0: yeah they're half of la right
1: but then there's also these Questions about like what constitutes a Latino in Los Angeles, because obviously they were also, you know, saying all kinds of stuff about indigenous Oaxacans and, you know, Um, I think it's interesting because like at that city at the city council meeting where everybody came to protest and to call for these people's resignations, amazingly, they still haven't resigned. Um, well, oh,
0: the the did council she fr- president. Oh, yeah, that's right. Martina's and the labor did. guy, the labor guy resigned. Yeah, yeah. he
1: resigned, but yeah, um, he resigned
0: almost immediately. Yeah, which, thank you God. Know, um, I think he had to. I think so too. But Nuri yeah. Martinez
1: like resigned as president, but then it took her a while. No, she also resigned, resigned she later as yeah. like right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, a few days later, and she wrote this like totally unhinged letter, you know, to her constituents, and it ended with like for all the um
1: like little Latino Latina girls. girls
0: out there I'm proud that I could have made you know keep dreaming to accomplish <laughs> more than what you think you can and I'm just like are you out of your mind <laughs> like do you understand what has happened you know? it's so crazy. Like, do you really think that there's like a child in the city that is looking up to you right now like <laughs> you have been disgraced harder than any politician that I can remember in a long time you know right. like are, we do have politicians who do disgraceful things but like their new thing is just like yeah i did that on purpose and you know like if you <laughs> stop trying to cancel me like nobody has actually been effectively run out of office <laughs> or something like this you're the first you know like um i don't know so delusional um, yeah so like but people you know, were like,
1: saying at that meeting like basically thank you for unifying us which i thought was sort of funny yeah. but, and like but it's like there is a something about that of like if you have an example like this could it potentially be a thing where people are like actually we have these shared interests across right. race and but i think on the other hand like you look at some of the stuff that erica smith the la times columnist who's black has been saying and writing um i think you read that piece that she just wrote right, right i that. did yep yeah and so she was kind of talking about how this also embodies like the worst fears of black la which is that right like, Latinos right that everyone's against them them. yeah and (laughs) are going to take whatever power that they have like very like fitfully accrued right so so I don't yeah I think like that doesn't go away obviously this sharpened that and so you I think it's like this competing trajectory and I don't know how it's going to shake out out of this crisis
0: right I agree and I don't think the two are mutually exclusive right I think that like basically you can have like a solidarity movement that is built around like, let's not do the politics of the past. And then you can have um, resurgent sort of like insular ethnic politics yeah. that's about like, everybody's against us. And honestly, like, after hearing those tapes, it's very hard to blame people for having that type of response. I mean, everyone is totally. against you if you listen to those tapes, <laughs> right. you know, like literally they just say that. Yeah. Right? Like, explicitly. <laughs> this is the head of the city council. You know, this is a city that's half Latino. It's a city that is losing yeah. black residents every single year and losing political power as a result, you know. Um yeah it's a city with all the history of the LAPD, right? Like, exactly. and that, um, and it's a city where like, uh, that is like incredibly racially segregated. And then you just have like this like understanding where like, oh, well this whole black and brown unite thing, like not real, you know? Yeah. Like once they're in power, they're just gonna like try and screw us up. Like, I, it's like, how do you, how do you like, I don't know, I I guess I just feel very torn about it because at the first, and that's why I think maybe they can, they will both happen at the same time, Mm -hmm. which is like, I think that there will be a lot of paranoia after this and there should be, right? And then at the same time, like, and it's hard to ask people to not, just not sort of like turtle up and say, okay, well, you know, we're going to do some, do it differently this time. Like it makes more sense to consolidate
1: power in some sort of way. Um, well, and do you think there's anything intrinsically bad in a council setting of being like, these are like basically black seats. These are basically Latino seats. This is like an Asian seat. I no, mean
0: no, no, no. I don't think so. That's yeah. the
1: thing. Like, it, like theoretically that stuff shouldn't matter. And we have representatives who, you know, have like broad racial and class interests that they can, you know, whatever, whatever. But also like there is something just like about naked representation, that right. is a thing, and that like like I live lo- the place I live in in Brooklyn, like that is a black district. All of our reps are generally black, like, and I don't think that that's a, like, a problem. You know, you vote for whoever the most progressive person is, but that's kind of understood within the council, the assembly, and the senate as being an area that represents like black interests in Brooklyn. Right, right, right,
0: and like that, that's very hard to define, but that's also just how local politics have always worked, thing. right? Yeah, in these cities that are multi ethnic and yeah if you can flip one seat or something like that, like it was one of the things that was interesting to me to hear them talk about was like the, when they talked about Koreatown specifically, you know, and they're like, that's a, you know, like, why is it like, basically they're asking why is it called Koreatown when it's more than half Latino in Koreatown, which is true, you know? Um, and, uh, and then, you know, the idea that like you have to give political concessions and, but the Latinos there don't matter, right? They don't count. Right. And like that even is like that always revolved around the naming of Koreatown and, and everything, too. You know, it was like, well, you know, like you guys aren't the only people who live here. Yeah. You're not even half the people who live here. Like, why do you get to run everything? <laughs> um, and so when that type of thing is a reality in your city, yeah, then the people who are on the short end of that stick, of course, they're going to feel like that their politics are going to basically be like reactionary to the fact that they feel like they don't count. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why, like people like Nuri Martinez or like this, these politicians have that outlook because they know that it's effective. Oh. Um, now, in terms of like the uh. solidarity thing, I agree with you. It's hard, you know. Like I've been thinking a lot about that. This mostly because people are, you know, uh, like when people got when some of the when some of the academics got mad at the book, you know, at my book. Like one of the things that I heard a lot was just like he ignores solidarity. Um, organizing that is happening all across the country between like Asian and black communities I'm like I'm not ignoring it it just like is the thing you're talking about is like admirable and it's like important but it is not the main you know like it is not like some massive thing that everyone's ignoring like it is small it's a because minority that, politics, yeah, yeah that's like very difficult stuff to do and I you know, one of the things that I was thinking about was just like, okay, like the evidence that, that this sort of stuff is ascendant is in the fact that like these two people did win their races, you know, and they both won them easily, right? Like Nithya and... You um, mean
1: the two DSA people and so And
0: Hernández, <laughs> like they both won easily, yeah, right? Yeah, cool. Um, now, Eunices' like, district is a little interesting because it includes like Highland Park and like, you know, some of the more yeah. gentrifying areas. So the question is like, okay, like is this anti-gentrification candidate winning votes <laughs> from people. <From Michael>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like, you know, that's just a reality. That's politics too, you know, like it's fine. Like, I, I'm not saying that as a criticism, it's just like one of these ironies, you know? Yeah. But, um, but when you hear people talk about like, all right, well, we're gonna stand in solidarity with these communities. And like, this is like uh, my experience running at 501C or like my experience mm-hmm. as an organizer. I don't know. Some, like I, I don't know what the ceiling for that type of message is sometimes. Yeah. You know, like I know what the ceiling for like, you know, bare knuckles ethnic politics is, right. right? Like we saw it and it works, right? Yeah. I mean, we even saw it with Eric Adams, right? Like <laughs> it worked, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It's it's like can you build that into something bigger? Is what I wanted to ask you about. Well, like,
1: I think that for me is like why The addition of Ron Herrera, the Teamsters leader in this was so heartbreaking. And I think for the labor movement is like a little bit of like a reckoning moment broadly, like not just among Latinos, because labor has been the place where that kind of solidarity politics is potentially very possible because like you're crushed and you're crunched into your workplace together, you organize together, and then that becomes a political vehicle, right? Like your your union tells you, I mean, they don't tell you what to vote, but like they make endorsements. They do oh, Sometimes they education. tell you what
0: to vote, yeah.
1: I mean, they make endorsements and like <laughs> yeah, encourage yeah. you to, right. you know, follow them, but like whatever. But, you know, I think part of that is in, is in the kind of like tradition of political education in unions, which like I have no problem with. And I think, but yeah, what does it mean that, you had this like very important labor leader basically like discounting like people of other races and also like essentially mocking immigrant worker centers. Cause he oh, yeah. went on a thing about Kiwa, which is a Korean immigrant worker Alliance and has been a really important like non-union labor organization in the city. Um, so yeah, I don't, I I'm sure there's a huge moment right now in labor in Southern California and elsewhere about like, who are we, what are the racial politics we stand for? You know and what is our relationship also to the democratic party yeah because for a hundred years labor has been like we got to stop voting just with the democrats and being their lackeys and they're like you know whatever and yet they are still i mean there's there's no daylight really between the democratic party and unions um and now, then you, you get into these anything? situations where you're just like basically like they're what are are you like their lapdog are they your, you know what is what's going on here
0: Yeah, it was depressing in in another way where I was just like, okay, right now so much of the energy around uh, labor is from these like very symbolic and exciting moments, right? Like a Starbucks store gets organized or, um, you know, like a uh, Apple store gets organized and that these big brands are sort of having to reckon with it, you know? And then like on the other side in the very established and powerful setting that you're hoping that all this goes to. Yeah, they're behaving horribly, right?
1: And then you're like, yeah, no wonder why every young person forming a union is forming an independent union,
0: right? Exactly. They see this shit, right? I I looked at the Labor (laughs) Fed's website, and it's like it's so you know, like they're like quoting Angela Davis on it, you know, like they're like uh, they do have a bunch of like political suggestions, right, or like endorsements, and Mm -hmm. um, and they're like, we are a cross racial solidarity, like you know, all this. The the language that you would expect, and then to have like the guy turn around and be in bed with these, just like you know, like I don't know, like you know, like I I think the word is apt, right? It's like I mean, the stuff that, it's just monstrous stuff they're saying. It's and, like it's funny and it's a joke. I don't know. Has, has anybody, like, has that been a conversation in labor circles since this broke, Tammy? Like, are people like, oh my God, like, how do we regain the trust? I mean, I imagine in that organization, there's like a huge, like, especially among the organizers, yeah. maybe not so much among like, you know, the people who like are just like rank and file or whatever, but like among the organizers, there must be like a huge, like, what the fuck just happened type of thing.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, in the labor, like these so they're called central labor councils and they like exist in different cities and counties. And they basically are kind of convening tables for all of the unions in that area that belong under AFL. And so, um, you know, like Herrera and all of the the different officers and the people involved in the CLC, most of them anyway, have their own constituencies already uh, as elected leaders of their particular unions. And so within his union, within the Teamsters generally in that area, I'm sure they are having, like, very difficult conversations right now. Um, they are, you know, it's a very powerful, like, Latino leadership in the Teamsters down there, and I don't know what they're thinking now. And um, and then I think, yeah, I think, like, nationally, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I've only talked to friends about this. Right. I mean, I think there's – it's extremely embarrassing, obviously. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, yeah, I think – the, the sort of like bare knuckle politics of it, the fact that like so many racial distinctions are drawn in this conversation. I think, in the same way that picks it picks up on like black anxieties in LA and politics, it's picking up on like fears in, and anxieties in the labor movement about like who yeah. are we, what are we really doing, you know?
0: Yeah, and also like, are people really gonna trust us and how will this be? Be weaponized totally. against us, you know. Yeah, and then right Which before the like,
1: midterms, you know, it's just a total yeah, shit show. Yeah, God. Um, I mean, like
0: th- the shocker th-
1: though, I, really, was Kevin De León. Do you think? Because he, I mean, he used to be the progressive head of the Senate in California. Right, I mean, he's a right, huge right. figure. Like when I saw his name on yeah. that, I was just like, oh my god, like that.
0: Well, I think it just shows sort of how. Well, you know, like so, Gil Cedillo, who was the guy who lost to Un- Unices, who was one yeah. of the three city council people, he was endorsed by Bernie Sanders. That's right. <laughs> right. So, like, has we're Bernie not talk- said anything? I don't think so. Um, we're not talking here about like, we're not talking about like Orange County Democrats. Totally. You know, like yeah. we're not talking about like even <laughs> they're not New minor York city players. City Democrats, right? Yeah. Like, like these oh, some yeah. like nur. Ner- okay, like Nuri Martinez is like was very bad on homelessness, you know. Okay. But like, and she had had these like little street clean t- teams going around like twenty four hours. Like she would just brag about it, you know. She's like, well, "In my district, okay. we have you know basically this roaming group of people who would go up and like you know trash homeless uh encampments, et cetera, et cetera." Right. But like you know, she did pass like like her leadership. Under her leadership, they did pass renter protections, you yeah. know.
1: Like I know, that just happened too, right? right I mean, it's Gil, so recent.
0: Gil was endorsed by Bernie and De Leon was a progressive, you know? Um, and so like, that's what also makes it like wild in my head where it's like, actually, when I was writing the piece, I was just like, how do you even triangulate like these people outside of identity, right? And then, yeah. like the thing that I think made the most sense to me in that is just like, the identity part is going to win, you know, a lot. Not always. It's just going to win a lot, right? And it's about how, like, the politicians identify themselves, but it's also the very the reality that they know about their districts and what messages that they're going to put out, right? And that um, them sort of putting their heads together in this type of way, right? Like, I just don't think that it is in any way surprising. And that the main thing that they're going to do is that they're going to freeze out everybody who they think is a... Is a uh, threat to that type of power right Mm -hmm. and so when you can elect one council person for example that council person is going to go through hell you know because like everybody is going to be aligned against them so um i don't know it was it's like it's just so bad for progressives it's bad for latino politicians it's bad for labor it's so Uh, it's it's just bad for everybody except for the possibility that like, maybe this is going to be an earthquake moment in that city. It seems right? like it
1: kind of is already, right? I mean, yeah, I think we'll see. And um, yeah, I just like, I, it makes me want to like, go to LA and just like, walk around and spend time <laughs> with friends I know. and LA talk to strangers. Is, like, like, like what the hell is going on here? Because LA has <laughs> also been the, one of the, like, I have, the reason I always love going there is it does feel like a place where Of course, it's segregated. Of course, there's so many like ethnic and racial conflicts, but also there has been history of people trying, like trying really, really hard and brokering some real gains, you know, and um, anyway, and then then I think now this just makes me also feel like this is how every politician talks. Like, all of my DSA favorites, like, they're all like this. Like, you know what I mean? It makes you so cynical.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's hard to imagine, you know, like, because you always think, like, you know, the first thing that you should think about people who are politicians is that they're they're politicians. You know, I don't think that there's any real exception to that rule, even though there's politicians that we like and there are politicians that we don't like, you know. But like, um, (laughs) but man, it was, it's, it's just, it's just hard to even fathom what, um, Like so if that if that doesn't if that tape is not leaked, right, then everything just stays exactly the same and these people are there. Right. And one of the things that I thought (laughs) was unfortunate about the way that the piece has been processed is that there's so much focus on the racist part of it. And I understand why. It's really racist, you know. Like they called Mike Bonin's kid like (laughs) a little monkey, you know? And like it wasn't like (sighs) that it's not even that (laughs) phrase. It was like the way that they were talking about like this white guy with his adopted kid and like they're like oh he's waving around like an accessory like that's it's like repulsive stuff to say about somebody and their and their two-year-old child at the time you know but like i just think that like (sighs) then you've only shamed those people out of existence you know but like the larger question of like why were they doing this you know like what's why what sort of was the political end of all of this and what does that say about like Los Angeles politics? I don't know. Like, I, I do think that that's been kind of lost at this point yeah. a little bit, you know, because, and it's, it, you know, it's because the racism was so shocking and it's always totally the headline. So it's like, I'm not blaming people for that. Yeah, yeah. But like, um,
1: but in some level it's just like, Oh, all redistricting conversations are essentially like this.
0: Yeah, it's just race war. And
1: that's so disgusting. And it's that is like basically the war. foundational principle of like every politics in the country, which just yeah, makes yeah. you feel so broken inside.
0: <laughs> you know? I know. It's, it does really reinforce that the foundational concept of local politics in big American cities is basically just a race war. Right? But yeah, also like that's all federal,
1: state, and federal politics, right? Like yeah, all of the districts yeah. are drawn this way. And it's I just. Know.
0: Well, some of them get to escape because they don't really have other minorities there, you know?
1: (laughs) I guess. Then it's a class war. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, then
0: it's a class war. (laughs) So, what we're trying to do is we're trying to move people away from identity politics so it'll be just like it'll only be a class war. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) This is a really exaggerated analogy, but do you think this could be a kind of LA riots moment in LA?
0: Oh, I don't think so. I mean, that's, I know that's, I don't mean to discount like
1: the the deaths and all that, but you know what I mean? Just in terms of like the racial reckoning that was spurred by that.
0: Well, I wonder how, okay, so when the riots, you know, the riots, obviously everybody knew about, right? So it's like top of mind for everybody, you know? I imagine that a large percentage of people in Los Angeles know that this happened, but aren't thinking about it all that much, you know? But I do think that in terms of the way in which, These types of coalitional politics work, that people will be much more hesitant to make it so obvious, you know? (laughs) And that what it will be is this gigantic cudgel that people can use to attack moderate politicians who are doing a type of identity work, right? Now, is that in the end like a big deal in Los Angeles? I don't know, you know? Maybe not, right? But I do think that Mm -hmm. it's like a warning thing that you can say, oh, This is another Nuri Martinez. Like that is like uh, right. Like that's that might be it. But um, I don't know. I am very hopeful that uh, that these three politicians, right, like, um, and that a couple others who are running for you know state senate or different positions, um, and you know the fact that down the line other elections or you know other city council elections, whatever, are going to um, sort of feel these reverberations. I think that's great, and I think that is probably on you know if I was in DSALA or something like that, or if I was in one of these groups yeah. or like are part of some of these more um, left leaning media outlets like Knock LA, which I think has, did a great job with the with, with all the tape, of this, right? Yeah,
1: and everything.
0: I would be doing everything I can to differentiate th- those candidates from you know the city co- the people who are in the city council. Uh, from like Nuri Martinez and Gil Cibillo and and Kevin Delan. I just and I would say like these are totally different, you know, even if they're not. <laughs> I was just (laughs) you just gotta like make them you have to make like Kevin DeLeon seem like he's like you know like he's like uh like he was always like JD Vance basically. Right. Yeah yeah. that's not true.
1: Right. I know.
0: But yeah, no, I do so it did make me wonder like, is anyone good? You know, because like you're right, it's like these are not, like, people, like, if you looked at their records, you would, ass- I mean, not M- Nuri Martinez so much, but, you know, like, and not Gil Cedilla, who did a lot of, like, sort of bad housing stuff, but, like. I don't know. Like, it, you would never yeah. think, like, these are, are the kidding? biggest, yeah. like, these are the biggest monsters. Like, they passed renter relief, totally. you know, like, and they're proud about it,
1: you know? Like, like León, like-, like, in those, like, a few years ago, like, when he was leading the Senate, it was all like, oh, California, they're the leaders of the country on all of the things. And, yeah. you know, they're remaking this, like, idyllic state there. And and Herrera is super lauded throughout the labor mo- I mean, this whole it is just so insane.
0: I know. Well, I don't need quite a drug you know and (laughs) also just just
1: like the fret i think also we we were talking about like the black and latino thing but i think the intra latino thing is gonna be a huge thing because the oaxacan like indigenous the indigenous latino split has always been like a tense thing because like where is that dividing line and now you literally have them being like oaxacans like animals you know and and so what does that mean for even like a coherent latino politics like that doesn't exist actually
0: yeah, the, part of I this mean,
1: conversation as well.
0: The the comment, the sort of comfort with which they're talking about the Oaxacan population in such like dehumanizing, disgusting. Like it was that it was actually, one of the most it, shocking it, it parts. Of the my tape for me. when I heard it. Yeah, like, I, I was like, I actually felt kind of sick. Totally. I was just like, I like this is disgusting. Like this isn't this isn't like people making racist jokes type of thing. This is like real hatred and you think these people are like inferior to you. Yeah. And there's no other interpretation of it at all that you could ever possibly give. Like, oh, I was just kidding or I was in the heat of – Nuri Martinez's first statement was like, it was the heat at the moment. I was like, there's no heat in that moment. You are talking with your three friends.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you are laughing the whole
0: time. What are you talking about? Insane. (laughs) That's a heated moment for you? Like, it seemed like you guys were like having a great time, you know? Um, yeah, I, I, I think that, um, I don't know. I just, I think like, you know, think about like where here in like the Bay area, right? Like we have, uh, you know, politics are not so different, right? Um, hmm. And uh, especially in Oakland, right? Which is, you have a very large or shrinking, but large black population, right? And a lot of the local politics are, are racialized in that sort of way. I think it's basically just local politics in cities are racialized in that there's very, like, it's just the way it is. It's been that way forever, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I hope that it can change. It just seems like it's such a standard, fair thing at this point that, I don't know, you would have to like basically have a revolution at some point, you know, like internally, um, which could happen, right? And like maybe these types of events are precipitating and maybe this will lead to other People getting outed and like more of these, you know, because it, this is, L.A. is not the only place where this happens. Those three are not the only politicians who had conversations like that, even within L.A. Like I think that's obvious, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but like you know, we're probably gonna lose a lot of politicians that we actually kind of liked.
1: Oh my god! <laughs> that type I know. Of I know. Oh god! Ew. Just.
0: I don't know maybe we're on the wrong side Tammy you know like maybe we should go on the side where like people can just say racist uh, stuff out loud and be like no I actually believe this why Why, why are we allying about all, with all the racist liars you know like why
1: not I felt like the stuff that they
0: were saying was
1: it's more so, ra- like
0: it was it like it was racist by any standard you know it's like
1: theatrically like, racist
0: oh my god i felt yeah. actually
1: i felt like my first thought when that tape came out was like this is how this is like when you go to a reading or like an art talk and like your idol says some crazy shit and you're just like <laughs> you're dead to me forever why did i ever consume anything you ever produced uh, <laughs> you know right. except yeah, you start so re- much worse
0: you re- you start rethinking all of your opinions and you're like you know in your life a little <laughs> bit um Yeah, now oh man, and it's like all right. Well, are we just then at the point where like the people that that I think would pass these sorts of scrutiny actually also have like a pretty limited, at least for now, have like somewhat limited ceiling on what they might be able to accomplish because you know, I see like because it's hard to talk solidarity and do solidarity, you know. it's almost abstract at this point in a lot of ways. And I don't know, it's, 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 a what a, what a distressing story at times. Yeah. Like it was kind of inspiring. It was, insp- you know, it was cool to see people protesting in front of yeah, the city council. Definitely. It was cool to see people screaming at these politicians and telling them to resign. You know, um, I actually think it's probably good that they haven't resigned. I mean, not, they should resign, you know, but it's good to keep the story, the story going to say, and yeah, to keep yeah. the resistance mm-hmm. to it going. Like it's a positive that that right. that they're like apparently all delusional, right? Like what do you guys th- what do you think is happening here, I you
1: don't know? No. Know. <laughs> I was just like, so is you it You think you're
0: gonna live this down? Is you it think it's gonna to to go Dio away in a week? Like he's in yeah. until
1: the end of December, right?
0: Yeah, yeah yeah and so i was
1: just like does he think he's never gonna get a job again so he just needs to hang on to these two <laughs> months of salary he's,
0: <laughs> he's like listen my cobra kicks in in december
1: <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> he's like my daughter's birthday is on january 3rd He <laughs> yeah, needs, yeah, to you know exactly. i don't know I'm i just need like, that last three checks
0: <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i don't know um de Leon said like basically that he should have not he didn't speak up and he should have spoken up right like but come on you know such
1: like, a they're joke they're all laughed there. he Let's was the only one who showed up at. at the meeting right
0: yeah yeah and he got like screamed at um good i don't know that's the other thing if you can't show up to do your job then why do you still get to have that job i know you know like because you're afraid of the on a,
1: or not nuri it was someone else who was on the leave no who took a leave someone took a leave
0: I don't know. Anyway, I'm not sure. Yeah. <sighs> well, I don't know. Maybe this is will be our precipitating event to become Republicans, Tammy. <laughs> <laughs> like, listen, why did you become a Republican? Well, look, the LA City Council meeting taught me that everyone is super racist and repulsed, <laughs> and I just decided that I'd like to be with. I'm going to go the guy. other way. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be the people who are honest about being super.
1: I have to say that racist. I. I'm writing about Harry Bridges right now, who is a legendary leader of the ILWU, the Port Workers Union on the West Coast. And oh, yeah. he was um, basically like communist adjacent. Um, but at one point he registered as a Republican.
0: Yeah, was, I remember that. Remember that was he, he voted for Reagan, right? It was wasn't it a, about Reagan he, or something like so that? The ILWU voted like Republican, but he
1: He registered as a Republican later in his life because he was like, I'm so sick of the Democrats just expecting to have labor on their side. Oh and I'm just done with this shit. I mean I it was very theatrical, but like um I was thinking about that with, with some of, with Herrera.
0: There wasn't like an ILWU like they, I remember around here there was like something where they like I, I think like I think it was in Oakland that something happened where they were um with
1: Reagan? I'm trying to think what
0: yeah, you know, something like, I you know what I honestly don't want to even say anything because maybe <laughs> I'm wrong about it, but um yeah, there was like some there was some moment where like people like thought that they had taken like a strange turn but I think it was the same thing it was like radicalism rot you know like rot and then you decide to go the other (laughs) you know like it happens (laughs) it happens yeah everyone who's like I don't know my big theory about all this is that like it's very hard to be a radical and that generally the thing that a lot of radicals are into is being radical and so you know there's some percentage of them that are very committed and like the real deal and then there's some percentage of them that are just kind of kind of ping pong between different types of
1: radicalism. Oh, you, oh and so you yeah. can go full circle, basically. Yeah, you can revolution. go for a full circle, you yeah. know? Like, yeah, you yeah. can,
0: like, that's, how, you know.
1: Well, mean, yeah, definitely with the, like, the neocon right, right, from a generation right, ago right, who were communists. Right. and yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: they're all SDS yeah. and then they turn into neocons and they're start, <laughs> blowing up the world, you know? And it's yeah. just like, you know, you become addicted to, like, having intense thoughts and intense feelings, right? My thing is just, like, just chill out. You know?
1: <laughs> although this is like chill out like jay the like gambling addict <laughs> yeah. like <laughs>
0: yeah look you know we'll have start- an
1: intervention if you suddenly become addicted to republicanism
0: <laughs> oh yeah no that's not I uh, have yeah i don't know um all right is there anything else you want to talk about
1: <laughs> no
0: okay how's korea How's her sur- you. so you're going surfing next it's week?
1: good i'm going surfing tomorrow for three oh. days
0: for three days, you surf more in the last two weeks than I have in the last year.
1: <laughs> I mean, I don't know what I'm doing, so but it's good, yeah. So anytime I'm not reporting or writing, I'm trying to do that. And
0: have you gotten used right. to the? Have you gotten used to the rhythms of the ocean? No. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's the hardest part. It's I would So
1: say. I think like watching the wave, timing the wave to me is like still an impossible feat that seems like Very magic. Very hard.
0: Yeah, but yeah. it's even like it's that, and then feeling comfortable that you're like understanding what the ocean is doing oh
1: oh oh, yeah that, that's some of hard. that I'm a little that part yeah. is like a little better like I
0: yeah.
1: I really like being out there but um
0: but yeah timing and catching a wave oh is gosh. basically impossible it's basically impossible. I, yeah. I can barely do it any- like the only way I could do it was that I went every single day for like four years basically I see and I was like in very good shape for me you know mm-hmm. And I didn't think about anything else in my life except for that. So you know? that's what it I seems
1: like you it. have to do.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if, unless I, well, you're a good athlete, which that. you and I are not, you know. Yeah. But like, so I don't
1: um, know what, I don't know what that what that means for me. A friend in Brooklyn and I are plotting those some like far rockaway adventures.
0: So. Oh no, that would be cool if you were like we'll you see. know like surfer person in New York City. Um, but uh, good luck with that. You know. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Okay, thank you for listening to to our show. Um, Let's see. We will be doing a bonus episode for paid subscribers where we answer listener questions. So if you subscribe via Substack or Patreon, the link are in the show notes and join the Discord. You can submit a question and later hear the episode. Um, This is a great idea, by the way. May came up with the idea, right? Okay, so we want to thank our producer, May Schatz, as (laughs) always. And um, yeah, Q&A will be good. You can ask us about anything, you know? um ama and questions that i don't even know the answers to like why is tammy in korea i was thinking about that this morning i was like well i talk to tammy all the time and we're friends we've been doing podcasts this is because jay doesn't years. listen to me guys it's i have because no i idea haven't articulated why korea.
1: this <laughs> <laughs> Oh Jay definitely knows. <laughs> I don't know.
0: You, you, you just vaguely said something anyway. about like a book or something. You know, it was like, <laughs> all right, I don't know. Um, and then uh I am giving a talk this Thursday oh, with yeah. uh, Erica Lee and Rachel Swarms and um and uh Mike Laveau, who is me and Tammy's boss, um, at NYU. Uh, and it is about uh roots of anti-Asian violence. It's about history. Erica wrote the book, uh, the big trade book that she wrote is the making of Asian America. I actually have it right here. Um, which I cite in my book. It's a great book. I think. Um, and so if you'd like to watch Erica talk about Asian history and you kind of like nod, (laughs) you're like, yeah, (laughs) she's a great historian, I think. And I have, you know, um, there's a reason why I cited her a lot in the book. Um, I think they'll be talking about it. Um, and cool. um, it's for a program I think Rachel runs at NYU. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um, nice.
0: But it's not the same program that you're involved in, right? No. Okay. I and mean, she's
1: um, at the J School, right?
0: Yeah. I think she's at the J School, yeah. Um, she was like a longtime New York Times journalist. Right, um, yeah. And now is, is doing this. Um, and if you like to subscribe to this, sh- oh, we already said that. Okay. Yeah. Great. Tammy, till next week. I will <laughs> talk you to you later. Right, right.